Father God, we thank you for this time that we could be here, uh, congregating in your house, Lord, to speak your word, to learn from it. Lord, help us to receive it and to put it into action in our lives. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 5, is the section that we will be in today. Today, we're going to speak about roads, one particular road, but you know, in general, roads are important in our lives. All of you probably drove on a road to get here today. Some of you uh, came from a distance, maybe you came from Iola, or Garnett, or Leroy, you drove a ways to get here, and the road helped you out. Uh, if you were to not have a road, and you had to come here in your car, all terrain, it would have taken a lot longer. Your Honda, or Toyota, or Impala, driving over rocks, and around creeks, and around trees, and up hills, wouldn't have made it so well. So thankfully, somebody in the past at some point had cleared away and made a road. There are lots of important roads in history that we like to study about, at least I do. One of my favorites is the Alcan Highway. This highway goes from the main inland United States to Alaska. This road was completed in 1948. It is 1,700 miles of highway. This connected one of our states with the rest of them. Now, without that road, Alaska would be geographically isolated. Sure, you can get there by plane or by boat, but the shipment or the driving of your everyday vehicle would not be possible. Some people think that geographic isolation is good. I'm usually one of those. I like the wilderness, and I like to be off in the outback. It's kind of a good thing until something bad happens and you need other people to help. For instance, the outbreak of diphtheria in 1925, just a few years before the Alcan Highway was made. Maybe your family was sick in Alaska, small town of Nome, and, and there was no road to get to the nearest town, which was 674 miles, at least no road that was straight and clear, so the antitoxin couldn't be delivered, except for by dog sled. You were isolated. Maybe, as Alaska experienced the attack on the Aleutian Islands during World War II in 1942, the Japanese attacked these islands and occupied them six months after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, sure, our troops showed up with planes and ships. There was no support from the mainland Alaska because there was no road connecting to get the supplies there in the first place. And eventually we took the islands back. It was isolated. No direct 
road. No straight path. There are roadblocks. We don't clear them away. When you make a road, then there are no roadblocks. Unless, of course, you are coon hunting at night and there are stop signs. <laughs> that could be considered a roadblock. But today, I want to talk about the Christmas day that we are getting ready to celebrate. It marks the most important road ever built. The beginning of this road. The road that connects us to God. Now let me be clear, Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning, he was with God, Jesus is God, and he has not been created, he has always been. Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus, but it marks the beginning of the things that had to be done here on earth for our journey to be possible to get to heaven. God had to become man. And that man that was God had to live a perfect life. He had to die for sin even though he didn't sin. He had to be raised to life again and then ascend to heaven. This is the the path, the road, that was beginning to be prepared on the day that Jesus was born. Now those are some pretty radical things. Things that had to be done to live a perfect life, for God to be a man, and then to die for others' sins, and to raise again, and then ascend back into heaven. They had to be done. And they're pretty radical, hard to swallow, these things that would seem impossible to most. So, so how did God deal with this? He sent someone to soften the blow, to prepare the way for Jesus. As John chapter 1 verse 23 says, to clear the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the way. You see, Jesus, uh, straight out, would be too much. God spoke to Moses, remember, from a bush, and he told Moses to remove your sandals, for the ground on which you are standing is holy. When he speaks to people in the Old Testament, they are bowing to the ground. They are afraid because no one looks upon God's face. When angels speak to the people, they are terrified and they are blinded. <coughs> and so God sent John the Baptist to clear the way. I want to view a clip from a series called The Chosen about John the Baptist being in prison. He has a conversation with a Pharisee who is curious by the name of Nicodemus. He's asking John the Baptist about his ministry. I think this will do a good job at explaining that to us. 
are you the one they call John the Baptizer? Consider yourself to be like Moses? <sighs> Tell me about your ministry. Do you remember when Caesar traveled through Judea? Yes. He sends all these men to clear logs and to preach for the coming king. Make straight the way for the king, they'd shout. Prepare the The roads in Jerusalem do not have the same problem, but I remember the visit. I had to move. Romans aren't kind to the homeless, lost all my possessions. Men in Jerusalem are frightened as well. Oh, they were lucky to have you to comfort them. For a price, of course. Should we be clearing the road for you, John? Is that the point of this story? I don't like your frock. The cost of the vestments alone could feed three children in Nazareth for a month. Do you hail from Nazareth? Hmm? And Jericho, and Bethlehem, Jaffa, Hebron. I see. Well, you have a new home now. Whatever your mission was, I hope you completed it. But you're here to ask about miracles. But first, I wanted to tell you of a miracle that I've seen but cannot comprehend. And then to make accusations. This is pointless. Clearly, you are not a frothing madman, but every bit as unreasonable. You imprison me and accuse me of being ill-tempered? I am not your captor. Do you not understand? This is a Roman cell. I came here to speak to the warden on your behalf. On my behalf? Are <laughs> you here, old man? The official reason? You are a Jewish citizen. If you have broken Jewish law, it sets a dangerous precedent to allow Rome to adjudicate. Uh, and the real reason? The truth? I am far from home. I am looking in places I would never go because Searching for an explanation for something I, I cannot unsee. No one else knows you here. Nothing could be done for her, short of a miracle. And she won't say who restored her. He did not reveal his name to her. 
It has begun. What has? If he's healing in secret now, the public signs cannot be far off. Public signs? What? You know him? You can say that. What's his name? Who has ascended into heaven and come back? I asked his name. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Paul to me, you wild mother of He's wrapped up the waters in a garment. Finish. No, you answer me first. Sir of Israel. Finish the oracle of Agur, son of Jekyll. Who has established all the ends of the earth? What, what is his name and what is the name of his son? Careless with Torah. God doesn't have a son except Israel. Israel is his only son. All of us. Suit yourself. You dare put a man to death for blasphemy like that. Who will? You. It'd be a terrible precedent for Rome to adjudicate. You'll never have come here. All your life you've been asleep. Make straight the way for the king. He is here to awaken the earth. But some will not want to waken. They're in love with the dark. I wonder which one you'll be. Now, if this man is anything like you believe, or if he exists at all, you should leave this region. Your presence alone puts him in danger. If you think he needs my help, So at this point, you jump a little bit. So let's get a little bit of background on John the Baptist here. Uh, first of all, where does he come from? Where does John the Baptist come from? Um, and uh, my answer to that is, is two older folks. That's where John come from. And I emphasize the older folks serious about that part. Luke chapter 1 verses 5 through 7 says that when King Herod was, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. They were old. Notice also that Zechariah is a priest, and his wife is also from a priestly line. God has chosen this couple specifically to raise a fellow of the caliber of John the Baptist. And they were old and righteous. In God's eyes. Verses 8 through 17. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order on duty, or his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing to the right of the incense altar, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. And you are to name him John. 
You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit of Elijah, with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. God had heard and answered Zechariah's prayer. What was Zechariah's prayer? The text doesn't tell us anything about what Zechariah had actually prayed. Often we think, well, Zechariah must have been praying for a son. And probably not recently. It was probably a prayer that he had prayed when he was younger, when he and his wife Elizabeth were young and wanting a child. But we don't get that from the text. It's just likely. What was his prayer? Maybe it wasn't necessarily for a son. Maybe Zachariah's prayer was for the Messiah to come. For the Savior. We don't know that for sure. But we do know whatever it was. Probably Zechariah was praying for both. Whatever it was, both was answered by God. Zechariah's response when the angel told him that he would have a son. Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. How can I be sure? He said. And I just wonder what was inside of the angel's mind. You know, maybe the angel thought, you have no idea, Zachariah. You should see my assignment in six months from now. <laughs> six months from now, he would, the angel, Gabriel, would have to tell an unmarried couple, a, a virgin woman, that she was about to have the Son of God. And Zechariah, you think it's impossible for you and your wife, who are a little older, to have a child. <coughs> Humanly standards, it may have been impossible. But God had a plan, a plan to prepare the way. And even though it seemed it may be a crazy idea or impossible, and Zechariah didn't understand. He could have had an idea because it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that the Lord himself will give you a sign. He said, look, uh, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, God with us. So maybe it wouldn't be so crazy for Zechariah to understand that the Savior would be born to Joseph and Mary, and that he would have a son at his old age. 
But Zechariah wouldn't have known that uh, he would take part in that. So he says, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? Because we're old. The angel, the angel actually says to him, uh, verse 19, Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And so it was. Six months later, the angel Gabriel went to Mary and Joseph and told them the news that was harder to believe than the news that he was telling to Zechariah. And a few days later, Luke chapter 1, verse 39, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea <coughs> to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in the womb, in my womb, jumped for joy. Jumped for joy. John, John the Baptist was filled <coughs> with the Holy Spirit from the very start. From the beginning, God equipped this fellow, specially equipped him with his spirit to do his work. And his work to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Luke chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened out and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. Sent from God. Salvation. Preparing the way. See, why do people need to be prepared anyway? <coughs> if God sent John to prepare the way... And we know that not necessarily Jesus doesn't need John to tell others about him, but God sent John anyway. Well, to fulfill the prophecy, first of all, I think another part of that is there was quietness for about 400 years. 400 years before Christ was born that we don't hear anything from the prophet. Something big is about to happen. God wanted John to soften the blow. For many, many years, things have been done, been done a certain way. The, 
Jewish way, according to the Jewish law. And that system works. It works to hold the wrath of God against sin off. But God in the flesh was about to happen. And it's about to blow their minds. Some will stand in the way. They will stand in the road of Pharisees and, and Sadducees and, and people who thought that they could run from the wrath of God. Those who would put off the consequences of sin. Check out how John deals with these folks. Luke chapter 3, verse 7 through 8. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes who warned you to flee the coming wrath. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. He's clearing the way of obstacles. Making travel to God possible is preaching that John the Baptist is doing seems radical but it turned hearts 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament when nothing was said through God's prophets no prophets speaking one of the last things that we see the last two verses in our Old Testament Malachi chapter 4 Verses 5 through 6. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching and will turn. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and their hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will, will come and strike the land with a curse. Let's compare that with Luke chapter 3, verse 17 that we just read. It says, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Who is Elijah? I mean, we know who Elijah is, the prophet. But is he coming back again? Will he be sent? The Old Testament says that he will be sent in the New Testament scripture, it says a man with the spirit power of Elijah will be preparing the way for Christ. This man, John the Baptist. Yes, John the Baptist is going to soften the blow, but John himself would not be a soft and easy guy to listen to. He calls them... A brood of vipers. Yikes. By the way, John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit, we know, from the beginning. From when he was born, John had the Holy Spirit. And John was no pushover. Men, this is an example to us. Oh, it's common for... Folks to think that a fellow who goes to church is a soft and passive fellow. 
that he uh, yields to everything, and if he doesn't, then he is not a proper Christian man. Here we have the example of John, who stands up to what he knows is true, who holds the word of God for what God gives him, and he says what needs to be said. He calls out sin when he sees it, and he doesn't back down from a challenge when it's placed in front of him. Men, we cannot be passive pushovers. We have the example of John the Baptist, and God has given us something to do, just like he gave John a path to clear, a way to prepare for Jesus. And so the angel tells Zechariah that he will turn hearts, his son will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Speaking of the family disunity that was probably taking place then and changing the son's ways so that their fathers could approve of them and accept them again. He would turn the rebels to the wise. John is priming them. For the coming of the Lord. The birth of the Emmanuel is a big deal. It's such a big deal that we base our whole dating system on it. Your birthday is a number that is based off of when Christ was born. At this point that we are reading here, John the Baptist's ministry at this point, understanding the Old Testament prophecy would, would seem easy. The prophecy lays it out that a Messiah would come. But it would get confusing when Jesus began to teach. <clears throat> because the folks were looking for the military style of a leader. But at this point, all they had to do was understand that the Messiah was coming. He was here in person. This is the best news that you could get. But it was about to be a great big change in everyone's life. The world is about to receive the best gift that it would ever get. Think about it. No more sacrificing animals. No more trying to make up for every 600 and some commandment that you broke. Jesus is a gift. You can accept him. Now we often compare Jesus being a gift with our normal gifts that we get for Christmas. And sometimes our holiday is focused around those gifts. There's a problem with that comparison. Number one, worldly gifts that we give, physical gifts, are limited by money. We want to get the best gift that we can for our loved one. And the most expensive gift, we would love to purchase that gift for them, but we don't have enough money to buy the most expensive gift. We worry that they will be disappointed. Turns out, Jesus is the most expensive gift. He purchased your salvation with his life. Number two, uh, gifts will wear out, the physical ones that we give. 
doesn't matter what kind of a warranty, whether it's a lifetime or if it's made out of carbide steel, it will get worn out or break eventually. But Jesus, on the other hand, is eternal. Jesus lasts forever. And the life that he offers also lasts forever. And number three, a physical gift. We worry about if it's going to be used or not. Will the present that I get my loved one be stuffed in a closet and only worn once? Or will it be something that they cherish every day, used often? Will it be practical? My friends, Jesus is the most practical gift that you'll ever receive. He will be used every day as you walk with him in your relationship. John, John was to be a man to clear the way, and his father, Zechariah, was beginning to understand this. And so, Zechariah offers a prophecy to the world. Read that in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Let me just read that to you and listen as you hear the words of John's daddy. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised. Though his holy prophets, through his holy prophets long ago, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies, so we can now serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness, for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. John's dad, Zechariah, recognized where it's all coming from, from the line of David, that Jesus will be a redeemer and a savior and that he is to defeat our enemies. And let's just realize that our enemies all focus to one enemy. Now we can serve God without fear. The priests were used to having fear to worry about if they did things right or wrong, now everyone, without fear, can serve God. This is to be the morning light. <coughs> Savior. He 
will break upon us. How exciting this must have been for the others who were listening to Zechariah. John the Baptist, he challenged the status quo. So did Jesus. John was a forerunner to Jesus and his ministry, and John gave all the credit to Jesus. 400, 400 some years of silence. Some folks had fallen asleep. They weren't ready for the coming of Emmanuel. Some were excited about it, but some were not prepared. I wonder which one you John says, Jesus is a fork and a fire. In Luke chapter 3, verse 17, that he will separate the chaff from the wheat. Which one will you be? The wheat, valuable and useful and loved, or the chaff that's just in the way, clogging the road. John came to prepare the way for the people and to clear the way. Listen, my brothers and sisters, the way has been cleared and the people have been prepared. And that's us. The people. We have everything that we need to be prepared. Jesus has removed everything that stands between you and God if you will just give your heart to Him. Oh, there's still a lot of things that we allow to get in our way. Obstacles put there by ourselves, our sinful ways. The way that John prepared our Savior is a clear path. There's no obstacle that can prevent us from getting to Jesus. Now this path is not wide, it is a narrow one. And there are a lot of folks that are wandering around, not knowing where they're going, bumping into things, following their own habits, not even caring where they'll eventually end up. The path that leads to Jesus is clear and narrow. Will you give your heart to Him? The path is ready. And this is good news. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank You for sending John the Baptist and I thank You for Jesus coming to earth, becoming a man, and being God at the same time, God, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Lord, I ask that you would help us to every day tell other folks about this clear way, God, to present our community with the gospel, the message of salvation through Jesus, the free gift. Lord, I praise you for the work that you've done, and I thank you for the example of John the Baptist being a man of conviction and a man who boldly stands up to speak your word. Lord Jesus, we praise you and give all the glory to you. In your son's holy name that we pray these things. Amen.